0: Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle, located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at The Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today.
1: So if you haven't already, turn to Acts 18 as we continue back in the book of Acts. Just such a wonderful book to go through and learn together from, Acts 18. And as you're turning there, I'm thinking about how cold it was yesterday and thinking about how we might not be too far from shoveling snow. And I'm reminded of the little story about the man who was shoveling snow from his driveway when two boys carrying snow shovels approached him. Shovel your snow, mister? One of them asked, only $10. $10. And the man was kind of puzzled because there he was out there shoveling his own snow. And he said, can't you see that I'm doing it myself? And the enterprising young men said, sure, we can see that. That's why we asked. We get most of our business from people who are half through and feel like quitting. (laughs) (laughs) And as we continue on in the book of Acts, we come to a great passage, one of my favorites in Acts, where it looks like a time the Apostle Paul felt like quitting. And uh, if you've ever felt like that or in a rough spell now, you know, uh, you might uh, really appreciate this passage. So you heard me right. There was a time when the great apostle Paul felt fear and contemplated no more public preaching. Um, Now, when I read that and we're going to read it in a few minutes, I'm both uh, astonished and encouraged. I'm astonished because I so want to put people like Paul on a pedestal. Uh, you know, I want to put missionaries and apostles like Paul and Peter. I want to put missionaries today and pastors, uh, great church pastors and those that uh, influence a lot of people for Christ, uh, College Christian college presidents. I want to put them all on a pedestal, you know, and think, man, you can always count on brother so-and-so, you know, and, and, and this and that. Um, but uh, I forget that there were times Paul felt like giving up. So that encourages me because there are times I feel like giving up. And there's probably times you feel like giving up, you know, and the Lord just has a beautiful way of sending us encouragement just as we need it, and sometimes a surplus of encouragement. Uh, one of the reasons why I like to go to the state meeting of our Southern Baptist Conservatives of Virginia, I was there yet uh, Monday for uh, the day. It goes Sunday night through Tuesday, but I was just there for Monday and brought uh, Alexander Smith with me so he could see how things go there because uh, he uh, may wind up being a church planter one day or something like that, uh, and the Lord's given us a A beautiful relationship as far as discipleship goes. But, um, you know, it just was uh, encouragement left and right. I saw Brandon Pickett. He encouraged me. I saw Sean Ames, you know, our local missionary. I saw Ish Labiosa, Jamie Labiosa and others. And I encouraged them and they encouraged me. And just as we were on the way out, ready to come back, um, I about got run over uh, by a church van backing up. It was the church that I pastored back up in Waynesboro. The pastor uh, was about to pull the car back and I thought, wow, you know, so I, I had got a chance to talk to him for a few minutes and he was just so complimentary of the great situation. We left them there and what we had built up, you know, and built in and how they're just prospering these days. You know, they're doing really good now out of the pandemic and that's good because they had some harder days during the pandemic like all churches did and to hear uh, that, uh They're using the building the ways we envisioned it being used and uh, reaching families and adding ministries and things. It was just great. It was just great. Um, The simplest meaning of the word apostle is sent one. Now, there are no more apostles in the sense of Paul and the others who wrote the New Testament. But all Christians are sent out to minister in their sphere of influence. There's your fill-in-the-blank influence and beyond. To minister in their sphere of influence and even beyond in the new encounters that the Lord gives us. I I love what this passage is going to do for us. I should have read the text by now. We'll get there in a few minutes. Um, But uh, I love the fact that this passage helps us treat life like a great uh, treasure hunt. You know, when you go on a treasure hunt, you're looking for stuff, right? You're just expecting to find something. And uh, God, uh, what he tells Paul in the passage we're going to look at, Makes life kind of turn into a treasure hunt. Who's the next one that's going to get saved as I talk to them? Who's the next person I can bless? You know, who else would God have for me to touch today? It might be somebody I already know that needs a word of encouragement. It might be somebody I've never met yet. You know, pretty neat to think. Each of us has a sphere of influence. And uh, we just need to be ready for when that grandchild calls or that neighbor comes over. Or uh, we have a, a chance to interact with somebody in the line. I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon today. Do you know who Tim Keller is? He's the conservative Presbyterian preacher that went from Virginia up to New York City. And Redeemer Presbyterian Church has thousands of people in it. Very influential, wonderful evangelical pastor. And he said uh, that uh, his wife sent him to the grocery store to get some things. And he was already irritated for that because he wished she'd gone instead of him. But he promised her he'd do stuff like that. So he was in the line and the line was slow. And he's like, oh, great. There's an immigrant lady up there, you know, and uh, she's the one taking the money and things. And she's just going slow. I don't know that she knows the language too well, can't figure out the cash register. So he's thinking these thoughts, right? And uh, just then the Holy Spirit reminded him of what he'd read in his devotions that morning. And it was basically from the law of Israel to be kind to the immigrants in your midst, you know, to be a blessing to them. And uh, so as he got up there, he just his mindset completely changed, you know, and he just was loving toward that person and kind. And she needed that because some people had been short with her and and, and that sort of thing. So anyway, our sphere of influence, we never know. Now, before I read the text, I want to look at something I call 112 hours. So how many hours are in a day? Twenty four. Right. How many days are in a week? Seven. Seven. What is twenty four times seven? It's not 112. It's 168. Wesley had it, didn't he? He's like, I know my math. Um, How many hours are we supposed to sleep every night? Eight. What's eight times seven? 56, right? So we got 168 total hours in the week. We're supposed to sleep away 56 of them. And that leaves us with? 112 hours waking hours to fill each week and if you look on the back of your notes I show you how I fill mine working hours each week and I've got here 50 to 80 it's usually more like 50 so don't worry about me but um, I divide my time up into four or five different areas there's the ministry of preaching and teaching that I devote about 20 hours to every week. So it's preaching and teaching three plus times a week, studying the biblical text to preach and to teach, supplemental reading and studying, always looking for that next illustration or that thing that'll help me understand the text I'm preaching and any writing that I do, although, I need to get back into writing so I can produce another devotional. It's been a, uh, uh, the pandemic was good for that. I think I cranked out two or three of them and now I need to get some more out. But anyway, there's also the ministry of prayer and presence, five to 10 hours. So praying for church members. When I say a letter a day, I mean a letter of the alphabet. So today was the letter A. So here's my prayer cards with the coffee stains on it, you know, right there with Jewel Abbott at the top. So you pray and use, drink coffee and spill them on your cards. Uh, Then there's visits and calls and letters and social media uh, uh, that are all part of that prayer and presence. Attending events related to members. So going to a ball game, to cheer on our kids or grandkids or those type things that are in the church. Attending community events as the tabernacle pastor. So sometimes, you know, there's a banquet or something a God's pit crew or something like that. I need to get back to that one, but there's Always something going on during the course of a month. There's two or three of those every month. Uh, Acts 1.8, evangelism and missions. So it's really evangelism and missions, but Acts 1.8 says you're supposed to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so using that kind of as the guide, another five to 10 hours. So personal evangelism, the several times a week I get to have a chance to witness to somebody. Missions coordination and encouragement within the church and our partners. And then Southern Baptist involvement. Southern Baptist can of a Virginia involvement. Take that very seriously so that we can partner together to do more than we can alone. The ministry of discipleship and mentoring, another five to ten hours. So that's personal discipleship. Several Timothy relationships where I'm pouring into them the way Paul poured into Timothy. Uh, and also I get people pouring into me because I need that too. Sunday school teacher coordination, new members class. So uh, one of the things I've taken on is helping the... Classes uh, hopefully get. Uh, we're doing pretty good with it uh, this first year of me taking that on. The goal is 10% growth each year, and this year at least we're hitting it, so we need to do that. We really need to do that for the next 10 years, 10% each year, and we'll just be about as healthy as we need to be going into our 100th anniversary, and Lord willing, I'll still be the pastor then. But mentoring younger pastors and potential workers, that's always a blessing. Uh, Premarital counseling would fit in there also then five to ten hours the ministry of leadership and administration So the daily leading and the office decisions ministry coordination any appointments with lay leaders to help them uh, Get their ducks in a row if it's men's ministry or women's ministry or whatever Oversight of staff and the staff meetings that we have the board of directors meetings uh, board of directors are kind of like our elders and then ministry of pastoral care that's any counseling that happens during the course of a week, several appointments each week that away way as members need help with something, and, ma- and sometimes marriage is in crisis. Uh, by the way, if you know people and are having trouble in their marriage, tell them not to wait till the last minute. <laughs> it's a lot easier to save a marriage if they come in before uh, they're grasping at straws, you know, but usually they wait till they're grasping at straws and ready to kill each other. Uh, but uh, the Lord's been real good. Most... Uh, in fact, every uh, couple that I've sat down with uh, since I've been here has stayed together rather than divorce, which is great. We've had a divorce or two, but they didn't come to me until just it was over, you know, um, funerals, deacons meetings, etc. Not that a deacons meeting is like a funeral. It's not. It's a time of joy. I love the job David Thompson's doing currently in the deacons. Lots of prayer in those meetings, lots of focus on missions and ministry, which is great. And that leaves, of course, time for family, friends, and self, 32 to 62 hours, uh, just a way to talk about budgeting your time. And uh, we all have time to budget. We need time for God, family, friends, and self, in addition to whatever our work has us do. And so, you know, you might want to think about how your work week looks and, or your time of week looks and prioritize things. So we're all targets of Satan, Ministers are, Sunday school teachers are, deacons are, Awana workers, all Christians. After you get saved, Satan can't have your soul back. It ticks him off, but he can't. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So you, he, he no longer has domain over you. Uh, so what, he, what does he try to do? He tries to keep you discouraged or depressed or a sense of defeat so you won't share your testimony in the gospel with others. He tries to wreck your testimony so no one listens listen to you if you are sharing and so, uh, you know, we need to realize he's got wiles. Uh, we're not ignorant of his devices, Paul says. And uh, we know that it's, uh, life's part of life is spiritual warfare. So we're ready to do warfare with him as we pray to the Lord and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but uh, he um, he wants to keep you from, uh, you know, your freedom in Christ, knowing your identity in Christ so that you share with others. And sometimes when you compare, Pile it all together and you forget to pray and you just are frustrated. Sometimes a lack of forgiveness can factor in there too. Any number of ways we can just get so down and defeated that um, we want to quit. And that's where Paul was. So finally, Acts 18, verse 9. Last time we understood that many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. It was actually after a time of spiritual victory. It says, verse 9, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Oh, wow. Isn't it neat to see some letters in red right there? You know, Jesus speaking directly to Paul uh, there in a vision. It says, verse 11, And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, The Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, Bema seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. Now, if you've got a newer translation, it didn't say Greeks there at all. It said they all took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So we'll talk about that in different translations and things when we get to that point. But the message is the overwhelmed apostle. We look in verses 9 through 11 and we see that God himself encouraged, encourages the overwhelmed apostle. So you never know when the dark specter of discouragement will hit you. Sometimes it's during a time you're facing overwhelming news, you know, a bad uh, medical diagnosis, uh, prodigal child, uh, this, that, the other. But other times it hits you when you've just had some victories. Elijah's biggest time of discouragement happened after that great moment where he defeated the prophets of Baal, you know. Uh, I mean, his as biggest as, as big as spiritual victory is, I'd put it in the top 10 of scriptures, wouldn't you? Elijah and the prophets of Baal, it's, uh, I mean, let's not include Jesus in that because he's the top of everything, you know. But uh, of other moments, David defeating Goliath pretty big. Elijah and then prophets of Baal, that's a big deal. Right after that, he's almost suicidal, which is crazy but true in his life paul had just seen many people come to christ in corinth and get baptized and of course just before that many people in athens had ridiculed him so he would had a little bit of both um, and of course along the way he would had so many difficult things happen uh, let's uh, turn to second corinthians 11 to see some of the type things that paul faced uh, during the course of his traveling around and sharing the good news you may be familiar with this list uh, but if you if you're not This is a good place to turn to to see what the kind of things that Paul had been through for being the key apostle that he was. So we'll read verse 22 down to 33. It reads like an Indiana Jones adventure story. Um, It says, Are they Hebrews? He's talking about his critics here. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant in stripes above measure, talking about weapons, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Verse twenty-four from the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. I don't think we get all the records of those in the book of Acts. Uh, we see a couple times where those things probably happened. You know, like uh, uh, the Thessalonian Jews uh, pursuing him, and uh, even before that. But that's thirty-nine uh, times. You know, there's five times he'd gotten the thirty-nine lashings. They had to stop at thirty-nine by law, and that's a lot of whippings. Uh, You know, if you'd see Paul in his back, you would have seen a a marked-up back that had openly bled from the whippings and things. Three times I was beaten with rods. Well, that's not much more fun. So that's a total of eight beatings like that. Once I was stoned, and he doesn't mean in the Rolling Stones kind of way, uh, or the Doobie Brothers. (laughs) He means uh, uh, you know pelted with rocks uh, unto death. You know, and we remember that from earlier in the Book of Acts. Um, Three times I was shipwrecked. You imagine going through that once and, and some people need counseling after that, you know. Three different times, shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. So by that, I presume, uh, uh, you know, it was a night and a half riding a little piece of wood or something to get to, you know, shore so he wouldn't drown. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, the Jews, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. That's a lot of perils. In perils among false brethren in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside the other thing, and this really gets me, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So every church he planted, he wanted to prosper, and he'd get word about them being influenced by false teaching, like the, uh, or even beyond that, uh, the, the church in Colossae. He hadn't been there, but he was concerned about false teaching among them. Verse 29, "'Who is weak among these churches, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble among these churches, and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor, under Aretas the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands.'" I told you you read like Indiana Jones. That's a lot of stuff there. Um, Of all those things Paul faced, I can't help but reflect on the daily pressures of care for the churches. As a pastor, I feel that pressure 24-7, have for 33 years now. But guess what? Technology has made us all feel like pastors in a way now, you know. Now, follow me in this. Some used to know that pressure about their own family and friends. Oh, I'm deeply concerned about my spouse. I'm deeply concerned about my kids. I'm deeply concerned about my grandkids. You know, we had that kind of things on our mind. And then we'd know our friends. We might get a word, see a friend at uh, the store, and they're telling us about the things they're going through. And we've got that that's on our mind and heart. And that's a lot to bear, just the the basic circle that everybody has. A person in a small church, they'd know about 50 to 75 people. And in addition to their family and friends, they'd have the the people in the church that they'd be concerned about and they'd have the prayer list for. A person in a medium-sized church who went to Sunday school would know about the same number of concerns. And the person who went to their church's prayer meeting could know the things that were put on the church's prayer list. um, And uh, they'd have some kind of context that the pastor would say, well, here's what we're praying for, for this person and that and, and, and I remember a, a painting uh, one time I saw, it was a Christian painting, and it talked about the burden of knowledge and how the more we know, and the more people we know, the more knowledge we have about things, the more concern we have in prayer. And uh, Paul didn't forget. He had his little prayer list and he kept it going, you know, uh, like I've got my prayer cards. Um, now, others will pick up that prayer list on Sunday or some other time of the week or they get it sent to them. And some of the things we hear about is tough information to hear alone and by ourselves. I think some of the things we hear about we were meant to process and pray about with others almost immediately, you know, like we did tonight and like you do in your Sunday school classes, et cetera. Um, but now many times we're receiving that information alone. And we haven't even gotten yet to Facebook and uh church uh, e- email change and things like that where we're constantly hearing needs and seeing needs from facebook about people that we maybe didn't even know because of the news we're concerned sometimes about things going on in a city in the other side of the country or even the other side of the world and it's not bad that we have that knowledge it's just more concern and knowledge and you can see the anxiousness that this breeds Uh, particularly when you don't have people to guide you through converting that anxiety into prayer. Like Philippians says, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, make your quest known to God. And then he talks about how the peace of God will guard you when you do that. But think about all the young people that are processing information uh, online and with their friends at school and things like that. And they don't have a context to be compassionate about it. And so especially when they're criticized by others or feel ridiculed, it's just more anxiety for them with no place for that to go. Um, And uh, social media has a lot of positive features, uh, many negative features. But what I'm trying to say is, it's almost made even more people with the kind of pressure that Paul felt related to overwhelming needs. In his case, he's in Corinth, he's just seen some people saved and baptized, but it doesn't appear that at that moment he's with his friends. Now, sometimes single men are alone, and uh, and one night, there he was in Corinth, and he's just discouraged. Uh, whether it's discouragement or being well overwhelmed by the needs in individuals, families, churches, feelings of being a failure, thoughts of quitting, they can come out of nowhere. And Satan and his demons love to use those. You know? uh, you know, when our kids make mistakes, you know, Satan loves to say, well, you got it wrong, you didn't do this, that, or the other. You know? It's one of the reasons why I say to people, you need to make sure you're parenting for the glory of God. There's that again, Right. Not for a definite defined outcome because people with free will still need to make free will choices. Even when they make sinful ones, they can make different ones later on. Some of you perhaps have seen a a prodigal child make poor decisions and then, praise God, now they make better decisions, you know, and and God's working in their heart and life. Uh, I've got a couple boys. I'm waiting for that moment to come. You know, I'm still the prodigal dad looking down the road, you know, oh Lord, bring Will home, bring Paige home, you know. Uh, and uh, hopeful for hope to stay on course, you know. It looks like Paul was all of a sudden having one of those times in Corinth. Now, this is encouraging because he's having these feelings despite being a strong Christian, despite just having success, despite having lots of friends, new and old. Now, it was a night vision, so some of his angst could have been the loneliness that comes at night when you're alone. I have to wonder... So God comes to Paul. Here he's in Corinth. Did Paul really feel like giving up? Looks like it. Did Paul feel like leaving the work for others? It seems like it. Could the great apostle have stopped speaking as a leader and retreated to his job making mobile homes? You know, he was a tent maker. Uh, Could he have done that? Well, sometimes people do, right? And so there's a lot at stake. It looks like those were real possibilities, just like they are for some people I know right now. You know, uh, Not everybody I talked to uh, in, in Roanoke the other day, Monday, uh, is doing hunky-dory. You know, They've got concerns, they've got burdens, and sometimes I was able to encourage them. Some of the ministers we talked to in the Messiah's, they had their own things going on. Whether it's giving up in life, in relationships, in ministry, where do you go during those times of discouragement? Sometimes you don't know where to go. Sometimes you need God to come to you. And that's what we see in this passage. You know, that sometimes, you know, the scriptures say that the unbelievers can store up wrath for the coming judgment based on their sinful decisions. They're storing up more and more wrath. Their judgment's getting worse and worse as they are more and more, you know, do more and more ungodly things. I believe believers in their quiet time and in their serving the Lord, uh, are storing up grace for difficult days. And sometimes God just takes that one little thing that they tucked away you know, uh, for the need of the moment. It seems like that's what happened to Paul. It can happen for us too if we seek God in the midst of our uh, discouragement. So Paul gets another vision here in verse 9. Now, this is the third of six visions for Paul in the book of Acts. And I went ahead and put those... Passages there for you since we're at the third of six. If you want to read them later, you can. But this is neat because one of those visions was the Macedonia vision. Remember what happened when he had his vision of the man in Macedonia? God directed Paul where to go next. That vision was about where Paul was supposed to go. He's here, he was supposed to go there. This vision's completely different than that. In this vision, God directed Paul to stay where he was. It's not okay, you're done in Corinth, go to the next place. It's stay right where you are, right? So what I love about what Jesus says to Paul here, there are three commands and three promises. So it really preaches. <laughs> you, could, you could just really share this with us if you're doing a brief devotion somewhere. The three commands, the first one is, he says, Paul, do not be afraid. Fear not. There's a lot of fear nots in the scripture. Uh, so you see that uh, an angel comes. Somebody's terrified because they've seen an angel. Fear not. Fear uh, not. God appears to his people, they're afraid, they're shaking their boots because it's terrifying to have an encounter with the, with the powerful God. Fear not, God puts them at ease. So he says here, don't be afraid, Paul. And then the second thing is, Paul keeps on speaking. And then the third command is, don't be silent. So don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent. There's a lot of things that want to silence Christians right now. And sometimes we're afraid of men. The fear of man is a snare. It can keep us from serving the Lord. God's got a call in our life. It takes courage to speak up. It takes courage uh, for uh, Christian business people to say, you know, we've decided to glorify God. We won't bake a cake for two gay people getting married because that's not what marriage is. We'll bake you a cake and you can put your own stuff on top, but we won't want to do that, you know. Uh, Same thing for florists at weddings and things like that. It takes courage to take those stands. It takes courage for a kid to not follow the crowd at school, you know. Uh, it takes courage for us to uh, speak up when people are blaspheming and say, that's my Savior, you know. Uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, it takes courage for employers to say to all their employees, look, this is a curse-free zone. I'm the employer, I can say that, you know, and then to follow through on it. It's a lot easier to go with the flow. Three commands, but then there's three promises in verse 10. So three commands in verse 9, three promises in verse 9. So what's the first promise? God's presence, look at those beautiful words. He says, for I am with you. Now, I think most of you have known Danny Campbell long enough to know that I think that's the greatest promise in all the Bible. God says, I am with you. He says it over and over again to people that are saying, I'm just struggling right now. This is going to be hard. So Joshua says, I can't replace Moses. Moses was awesome. I'm just Joshua. And God says, you can replace Moses. Because I'm with you. So be strong and courageous, Joshua. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I remember Moses himself back when uh, God said, you know, uh, here's the map. Go ahead. I'll, I'll make sure you get there safe. And, uh, but I ain't going with you. You're stubborn people. I don't want my presence to be among you. And Moses said, I ain't going anywhere without your presence, Lord. And I won't lead just people. Please, Lord, don't do that. Go with us. And God relents and does, you know. Uh, it's in the Great Commission, isn't it? Um, Go ye therefore into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. But then there's a promise attached. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's just all over the scriptures. Our favorite psalm, Psalm 23, Uh, right? Uh, I feel no evil, for you are with me. Pretty cool, it's there too. And here it is in this great vision that Paul had God says, I am with you. So God's presence is promised to Paul. Then God's protection, that's the second thing, is promised to Paul. He says, no one will lay a hand on you. Now, we just read 2 Corinthians 11. Paul got plenty of violent hands laid on him before this and after this. So this is not a unilateral promise that Paul will never get beatdowns again. It's just in this particular case, the extent of this promise is that no one would lay a hand on Paul that could do him, let's say, irreparable harm. Um, And we're going to see a direct answer to that in the next few verses. But I think about Lottie Moon. They tried to kill her in China once. She was a missionary there, and they threatened to kill her. And uh, she said, uh, you can try. (laughs) And I said, what are you talking about, crazy lady? She said, I'm immortal until my time on earth is done. So, you know, if you kill me, it's not because you can. It's because God allowed you to, you know, and that that was it for me. And said, This lady's crazy. Let's leave her alone. Something like that happened in the days of uh, communist Romania also. Um, And uh, have I ever told you this story? A great pastor named Joseph Zahn, uh, who was a great pastor after uh, communism, but he held the church together along with other pastors during the time of the communism in Romania. Uh, They had a big old fence around their country. It was to keep them in, (laughs) not to keep others out, you know. And that's how you know you got a great country because people want to get in rather than want to get out, you know. But uh, Joseph San, they uh, fell threatened to kill him. And he said, OK, he said, but I must warn you, your chief weapon is killing, but my chief weapon is dying. If you use yours, I'll be forced to use mine. And they're like, what do you mean? He said, well, listen, I'm a preacher under communism. And I've told people about serving the Lord no matter what. We've, you know, we're, we've honored the authorities, but we, we also believe that you know, you've got some real problems with this godless system of communism and stuff. And he said, so here's what's going to happen. If you do kill me, you're going to sprinkle my blood on every sermon I've ever preached. And all those times I told my people that to be willing to die for the faith, uh, if I do indeed, you kill me, I'll die for the faith. And uh, you will just make every, you, you'll make every message I've ever preached worth more than it ever was before. And they said, this guy's crazy. Let's leave him alone, you know, but God's protection, God's protection. And you and I uh, live in uh, our own day, but the same pr- uh, promise is there for us. Um, you know, over here, we got some pictures and I believe it was uh, Craig Gilreath, you know, that, uh, you know understood when he was facing cancer that nothing came his way without crossing god's desk first right that god had to approve or veto uh whatever comes our way and even though uh he created a perfect world sin in the world means things like cancer this side of glory and this side of the new earth and uh what a great understanding it's hard for us to have that understanding isn't it you know that even when there's conflict with people god may be allowing it so People see a great example of conflict resolution, or of one person glorifying God no matter what, even when somebody else isn't. And that's why I say, you know, the chief purpose we have is to glorify God. A spouse can glorify God in their marriage, even when the other spouse is a turkey in the marriage, you know. And uh, God will reward a spouse even in a difficult marriage for doing their part. God will reward the parent who glorifies him through parenting, even when the children aren't responding. Or children doing the same for their parents. You know, children are obeying their parents in the Lord and their parents are asking them to do something sinful. They're saying no, parents get mad. I've had that happen. You know, I can't di- dictate my parents' response any more than I can do my children's response or my spouse's response. I can glorify God in the ways he's called me to do and get my own blessing one day you know, from the Lord. Uh, And and obedience is its own blessing anyway. Uh, But the third thing that's promised to hear is, so I'm with you, no one will attack you to hurt you. Uh, And then God's productiveness is promised. Look what he says, for I have many people in this city. What you talking about, God? Well, certainly Paul had already led some people to Christ in Corinth, so he could mean that, but the context looks like he's talking about others. Uh, it looks like he's talking about that Paul needs to keep on going because there are still some people that God has for Paul to interact with in Corinth who are going to respond to the message. This is why I said treasure hunt, right? That's pretty cool to think about. That uh, as I get up during the day, whoo, God's got somebody for me to talk to today. Help me encourage fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He might have a non-Christian for me to point the way toward Jesus. So I'm looking forward to the day and seeing God's got people in this city. God's got people in Danville that haven't come to Christ yet that we're going to get to lead to Christ. God's got people in Pennsylvania County and over in Caswell County and all around us. Hey, uh, you know, on, boy, it's long air flights, two eight-hour ones and one two-hour one, you know. So a lot of air flights. The way there, oh my goodness, I got to talk to a firefighter uh, and witness to him. You know, he's a New York city firefighter. Oh, Nina, man. I'm so thankful for his service, uh, as a firefighter, I've got to share Christ with me. He's right there with his fiance and she is, a, a Christian and, uh, was so glad that I was witnessing to him. And Gary pulled his little new Testament out, getting a new Testament and gave it to the fella. Woo! who, who knows, you know, and other encounters like that. You never know what a day holds. Um, This promise has energized me on countless occasions when I get discouraged that God is with me, uh, that uh, I'm immortal till His time for me, and that He's got people that will be blessed as a result of the ministry. And so we ought to have a sense of anticipation that we're going to get to be a blessing to people. Jesus said the seed of the gospel will bear fruit. And for those, the good soil it falls on, that's 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. As we're faithful, God will make us fruitful and we may not even know how much until we get to heaven. Another story that's encouraged me recently is Mike and Shirley Gentry uh, told me that their son, grandson, heard me share uh, my testimony, uh, either, I don't know if he was in the church service that day or they got the CD and gave it to him, whatever, but it was part of what God was doing in his, his heart and life and encouraged him to go into the ministry too. He's studying at Southeastern Seminary now, and I didn't even know that had happened until they told me, and he's been there studying for a couple, uh, year or two now. Pretty cool. Okay, so verses 11 through 17, the results of Paul's endurance. So how did Paul respond to this wonderful heavenly vision that he got? He stayed there how much longer? What does the verse 11 say? A year and six months, so the 18 months. His only longer stays were in Ephesus and in Rome. So that's pretty cool. The results of Apollo's endurance, he stayed there 18 months. I love the little saying, preach and pray, love and stay. Uh, And so, uh, you know, that's that's, uh, my goal. My goal is to be here as long as I was at the other church and have uh, two great long church ministries. Corey Ten Boom said, look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed or look above and be at rest. Now, some of y'all might like that. I'll say it again. Cory Tenboom said, Look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look above and be at rest. Pretty cool. If you need that, you can get it for me after the time we're here. But, and so in addition to all the people that he uh, won to Christ, Paul also picked up his pen again in that second part of being there in uh, Corinth Um, and I believe we've got good evidence that he wrote first and second Thessalonians from Corinth so God gave him encouragement he won more people to Jesus he wrote these letters and later with integrity he was able to write to Timothy during his discouragement remain in Ephesus Timothy now one thing I like about the scriptures is we get time stamps so who does it say was the proconsul of Achaia in verse 12. Gallio. Yeah, Gallio. Even the way Luke says this is cool because scholars used to mock Luke and say they weren't called proconsuls back then. They were called whatever the name Rome, we know that Rome called them. Well, in the first century, they were called proconsuls. In the second century, they started calling them the other things and archaeologists discovered an inscription going all the way back to the first son, uh, century that called Gallio a proconsul, not a praetoriate or whatever the other word I'm looking for is. But it's another timestamp. He became proconsul of Achaia. There's an inscription at Delphi that has Gallio assuming his post in early 51 AD. He stopped being proconsul in 52 AD, therefore this event probably happened in 51 AD. So scattered throughout the scriptures are timestamps for us that let us know when something happened, and this is one of them. Now, something cool about Galileo is who his brother was. Does anybody know who Galileo's brother was? Seneca. He was the great philosopher, the Stoic philosopher, who tutored Emperor Nero. Um, Seneca once said of him, No mortal was ever so sweet to one as Galileo was to all which is a nice thing for a brother to say. But it says here that uh, he brought the Paul before the judgment seat there. And uh, that's in verse uh, 12 there. And the judgment seat was a large stone platform in the marketplace situated in front of the residence of the proconsul where he would try public cases. In Greek, it's called the bema seat. And Paul would later write to the Corinthians that we must all appear before the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ. So he's like, okay, I'm on trial now, but uh, one day, you know, uh, it'll be the, uh, you know, at the great white throne judgment, it will be the um, Galileo's of the world that are on trial. But uh, Christians will get to appear before the encouragement seat of Christ, the Bema seat. So Judaism was officially tolerated by Rome, but Christianity was not at this point. It was viewed as a sect of Judaism. Jews were claiming that Paul's teaching was external to Judaism, not part of it, and therefore should be banned. Had Galileo ruled in the Jews' favor here in what we just read a little bit ago, Christianity may have been banned throughout the empire. But he saw through the Jews' plans they were jealous and refused to get involved, which is great. Because God had kept his promise to Paul uh, here in Corinth. Now look at verse 17. What's the name of the man that they seized? Sosthenes. Tell you what, if you know anybody about to have a child, a son, you ought to say to them, how about bringing back Sosthenes? Sosthenes Campbell's got a nice ring to it. Um, Now, the later manuscripts, the Latin ones, somehow uh, the word they in the original got turned into Greeks, but the original Greek simply says they. So we asked the question, was it the Jews that beat Sosthenes or did the Greeks? If it was the Greeks, it may have been because of age-old anti-Semitism, you know. Or their way of saying, why did you try to stir up here the same trouble that happened in Rome? But if it was the Jews, then it may be because they were mad at Sosthenes for turning to Jesus. And one of the cool things about comparing Scripture with Scripture is the fact that Sosthenes became a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, how do I know that? Anybody know how I know that from the scriptures? It's pretty neat because we already read in Acts 18 about Crispus, right? Crispus turned to the Lord. Verse 8 says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. Here we see in verse 17, they grabbed Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogues, synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. So, Look at 1 Corinthians 1.1. Heading down the home stretch here. 1 Corinthians 1.1. Paul is later writing back to these Corinthians. And look what he says. Verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother. So Sosthenes got saved. Got beat up. By the probably the Jews uh, there at this judgment seat, he traveled with Paul and helped Paul write the letter back to the Corinthians. So the poor Jewish synagogue there had such a hard time keeping their rulers because they were all getting saved. Crispus did. And then imagine that the rabbi, head rabbi, Crispus gets saved. And then Sosthenes gets saved. So they had a hard time keeping rulers from converting to Christ. And would that be the case today? You know, rabbis around us in synagogues and in Israel converting to Christ. One day there will be a mass conversion of Jews to Christ around his second coming, which is pretty cool. So, folks, if Paul hadn't stayed, that's the last fill in the blank, and continued to share Jesus, Sosthenes might not have been among the other people to be saved in this city. And it just makes me wonder who won't be reached if we quit. We've got to keep on going. So God promises us his presence. He promises us his hand of protection. He promises us his productiveness, that there's people out there as we faithfully go about people. So don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Keep on speaking up for Jesus. Let's pray.